Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. There is just the reality of as you grow and you spend more in a certain platform, the cost to acquire a customer is just going to go up and it may not be sustainable for your business. So making sure that you fundamentally build a business that can support the cost to acquire customers and also understanding that you can't just jam money into something. If you try to build it really fast, it's going to be less efficient and that's kind of a bad cycle to get in. Black Crow is the performance marketing tool whose job is to make e-commerce marketers better at their jobs. It's a pretty sweet predictive model that uses your Shopify data to automatically make all your digital marketing channels more efficient, targeting and retargeting shoppers most likely to buy. Visit blackcrow.ai slash Daniel to get 30 day free trial and $1,000 credit for your first monthly contract. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Market Millennials. Today, I have the founder of ProMix. If you haven't tried ProMix, go try ProMix. The protein bars and protein powder is out of this world. But I'm going to let Albert tell us a little bit about how he founded ProMix and how he came up with the idea. Welcome to the podcast, Albert. Thanks for having me, Daniel. It's great to be here. I want to get into the the quick story on how you decided to found a protein company. I'm definitely not a marketer kind of at my core. I'm like a product person. So it was kind of came to it, I think, as a lot of people do around a personal need. I was into athletics my whole life. I ran track at the University of Florida and uh, competed with USA Triathlon. And it was one of those things of using other products in the market, having some stomach issues, having some headaches from kind of different ingredients that people were using. And in college, uh, studied physiology and food science and I'm a dietitian, all that. So basically took all my knowledge and uh, started making products for myself. And that kind of slowly grew over the years into a business. And uh, that was the foundation of ProMix was really like, solving a personal need, making a product and having a framework around, you know, it's, it's been years, it's been over 10 years. And so that initial idea of like, kind of before people were really focused on super clean nutrition, I was thinking about that stuff and just saying, you know, what can I take out of a product and what's really going to make the difference in terms of how you feel, how, you know, what, what it's supposed to do for you. So that was this. Yeah. And I think that's super cool. Cause I mean, I play college football, so I know all the different supplements people are taking. Also, I know like there's so many different advice you get from different people in the market. So it's, it's kind of crazy to you kind of have to figure it out yourself, especially like t- 10 years ago. And now college athletics is way better, but 10 years ago is a lot different. But I want to get into first. How did you, at the beginning, start getting your product to market? And then we could talk about now that you're scaling. 
Yeah, the initial thing was kind of like, you know, super organic. It was, I was using it. I had teammates starting to ask me about it. And then, you know, it was pretty, it's, it's still a progressive brand, but back then it was like very much competing against, I would say like the GNC world. And so our kind of vibe was unique. And so I started, that's when health food stores are more of a thing. So it was like really me going, selling store to store and then, you know, creating a website. And I think the, again, kind of like, because it was unique, we were, I would say one of the first companies to really do grass fed protein uh, in the US and especially kind of at the price point we were at. That was a big thing for me. It was like, I wanted from the personal angle, I wanted not just kind of a product for like 1% of people. I wanted like a, a broad people. And, you know, coming from college, I was like very budget conscious. I was like, I want a product where it's not going to be cheap, but you're going to feel like you get a lot of value from it. So we went on Amazon and that was kind of the good time to be on Amazon. You got a good position early on. I think so many people, you, you look at where people have had success and it was like, well, that was like a window in time. And I think there's a lot of brilliant people that really hit a certain window and you're like, dude, it was a different ball game back then and a different uh, kind of platform. But Amazon started to work and we started to have kind of organic traffic and I moved to New York and opened a gym there as well. And so there was some of that kind of crossover of, you know, obviously like people in the fitness space are organically kind of interested in nutrition and talking about nutrition. So there's even before I had the mind around any kind of like, you know, influencer seeding of product or anything, there was trainers and coaches in New York that would use the product because they knew me and that kind of grew from there. So we had a bit of a, a base from really like, you know, boots on the ground kind of stuff. And then got on Amazon early enough where there wasn't much competition and we started to kind of build on there as well. The Amazon now is extremely hard to be on. And some people give you advice like, oh, go to do scale on Amazon now and or go do these things now where some of the brands you scaled five, 10 years ago on Amazon, that's the little techniques and things they used five to 10 years ago are not going to work because the market is so much more crowded on there. It's harder. Amazon forces you to buy ads to get placements there. So it's, and, it, and to optimize a page takes a lot of money to do that. And people don't realize the lift and in investment in Amazon. But back then it was, a little lower left to get a product on Amazon scale. So I think that's a good point because I think a lot of marketers, it's the classic, what got you there is not going to keep you going. Or when someone gives you advice, what did you do to scale? It's, you had to kind of preface it and say, Amazon was not always, it's not, might not work for you. I'm sorry. We just hit it at the right moment. In 100%. Time. Which is great because you organically did this, but you had a target audience that you already was trying your products and you're getting customer feedback from all those gym trainers and their clients and all of that. And then Amazon was getting some feedback. When did you decide to start selling on your own website as well? I'd set that up kind of early. I mean, I think I understood the basic nature of Amazon that you're not in control of your customers and ultimately it's Amazon and they kind of do whatever they want. So you have that huge risk of, and I've, I've had this happen, you know, in the past where 
your listing gets removed. Oftentimes it's a competitor issue and something like that. So your business can go from a hundred to zero like immediately. So I knew early on that you can't really, you know, bank your business solely on Amazon. So I always had the kind of direct to consumer or our own website set up. But that again was also not coming from the marketing mindset or having enough background there. I didn't really know how to scale that. Like again, unique kind of just hustle on the side of because I was in the fitness world because my background dietitian and trainer and all that, I would get tapped for different articles and things. And this was at a time where, you know, I didn't even know what the word affiliate meant, but I had reached out like Buzzfeed wanted to do a shoot or something at my gym. I got friendly with them. I started doing, uh, you know, if they needed a health snippet or something, I would like contribute or write something. And then I started like training one of them and like all that kind of stuff. And then I would get linked in an article and they'd say like, Hey, here's Albert and here's a nutrition company. Here's like some fitness exercises you can do for, you know, whatever your goal is. And I would see bumps in traffic. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like this is kind of how that stuff works to feed our website. So I tried to do more of that. And so that started to kind of slowly build over time. But even then I, you know, it was years and years before I really started putting paid media on uh, Facebook or anything like that. And if I knew what I knew now, like we said, the moment in time on Amazon, I should have just been stuffing the the money machine on Facebook and Amazon. Um, and I probably would be retired, but I didn't do that. So I got to, uh, I got to learn the hard way because we kind of in the last couple of years have figured that out more and, and really got the right team around me to, to do that. But obviously it's a different landscape now. Could you go over some of the, the those different growth levers that you've, you've pulled over time and which ones have worked really well and which ones flop for you? I'll start with the, the good ones and I'll start with the foundation of like, and I'm biased to this because I'm a product person, but like a lot of the D2C stuff that broke and like why the space is kind of like cooled off or whatever it is, it doesn't get kind of the investment or the love is it wasn't product people making the companies. I think as much people saw an opportunity, there was a window in time where you could just kind of put money in the Facebook machine and just make, you know, more out every time. And that led to a lot of products not actually being very differentiated or very good. So I think having that foundation of like, you got to make a good product. And then Really, as long as you're not an idiot with the marketing, like it should grow over time as long as your product quality is there because people will come back and you kind of build. But stuff that worked was one, like honestly, you know, there was some proximity thing of being in New York. That was like a basic thing. What really worked the last couple of years was uh, my co-founder, Devin Levake. He's got a great following on Instagram and just having someone with a kind of a megaphone and distribution um, on social and him starting to talk about it and that kind of just really compounded on there was some organic understanding of what promix was and and some users of it but him putting kind of some sizzle on what we did um, really got it out there a lot more so um from the social media side that was a huge lift to the business and then kind of got the right advisors and people around from the marketing side and really again like super low-hanging fruit 
did some basic stuff on, you know, I didn't have a subscription set up. It's like, how are you, how are you a DTC company without like subscription? So it was turning that stuff on, optimizing the website to a certain degree. Like there was just kind of some really basic stuff you could do there. And then, um, you know, really starting to spend on Facebook and starting to scale that up. Yeah. I ran into stuff that didn't work. Amazon, the same thing, you know, like we had been spending on Amazon for a while, but as you spoke to, like the Amazon landscape has changed. You can't just launch a product. Now there's like a good amount of complexity on the back end of like keywords, understanding opted like a plus content, like a uh, store page, like paid media side of it. Like you really have to actually move the ball forward in kind of all those categories, because if you don't, it's not going to go anywhere you know, dealing with like opening cases constantly, because as you grow on Amazon, you just, there's so much, I would just say black hat anti-competition stuff coming from competitors. It's incredible how much you get attacked on Amazon because I think the companies that are higher up in the rankings, they want to maintain that. That's the only thing I can surmise from my experience on Amazon. So you get, you have to have really like a full-time person on just like dealing with the fake reviews and different things like that. But yeah, the, the social media side was a big growth lever. The thing that didn't work was I, as a new business owner, you don't realize how many quote unquote agencies are out there and you're just getting hammered in your inbox every day of people making claims about what they can do for you. And until you work with like really good people on Google spend or whatever it is on creative, you don't know what is good and what is bad. You're not like trained enough to have kind of context on that. So I had some bad experiences early on where you kind of lose faith in paid media or spending on ads because you're just working with low quality people to be frank. And, uh, you know, once you find like the right people that really know how to do stuff and the biggest light bulb for me was like, you really have to work with people who are basically like data scientists there's a creative aspect to it, but a lot of it is just like looking at data, looking at numbers and constantly iterating. So finding really smart people that you can trust because you can't do everything yourself. And especially if you're trying to scale is building the team out in those different kind of areas and letting them do what they do. You know, they don't come tell me about the product and I don't come tell them about their Google ad spend. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to help you there. So many people fail just because of, the number one thing you say is that they haven't perfected the good enough product, whether the product, the packaging is not good, the product's not good, the experience of the product's not good. Then, especially in a lower margin business like D2C, you have to get repeat buyers. Otherwise, it's hard to stay afloat unless you have a bulky purchase thing where it's yeah, I can sell millions and millions and I don't need to buy it once. So I think the product is so important, but I also think having two people with different expertise where you're as a product and um, your co-founder had a following, he has expertise because he's an athlete. He, he can, people trust his opinion on social. It's basically having a creator inside of your, as a founder, which is, a lot of people don't see it as that way a lot of times when you see it, but having someone who's a creator or influencer as a co-founder is a very hidden power where they can share their expertise naturally, but also be like, 
Hey, I, I'm an athlete. I use this every day. I'm, I'm just trading products that help me better my life, which is a hidden thing that people don't think about right now. The front and back end kind of yin and yang of like somebody who really is just a front end person or like top of funnel, they're like that megaphone is super helpful. And then you got to have a really strong back end, the person that's just making everything in the background work. And I think that oftentimes is, and you see that model, I think now and now working more with some of these brands that have a greater on the front end, which is kind of like a, like a arbitrage on ad spend costs. You know, you try to think about putting the value on, you know, we, you know early on Devin would, would talk a lot about like earned media value. He worked with Gymshark and that was a big kind of KPI for them was like, all right, if we work with this person, what is the EMV of, you know, their reach? And they could assign a pretty good value to that based on if we get a million views, what is that worth to us? And then you can kind of back into kind of partnerships and things with creators. That's an interesting way to think about it too, especially it helps you if you have a metric, what you said before about having a little bit of science mixed with it. I mean, a lot of science mixed with the creative. It's it's figure out it help a force you to partner with the right people who have the right audiences, so you can get your product to the right people instead of making solely creative guesses. Over there, I I, I believe there is a creative aspect that you have to inhale intuitively, in, but I think. If you already have expertise in an industry, it makes those decisions easier. A lot of marketers or people who are doing things don't inherently understand their audience deeply than most people. So they make a lot of guesses what the audience would want in the situation. But if you understand the audience, you'll know, oh, this person is talked about in the industry so much, we should partner with those type of people. So that's a good way to and also then you have a metric behind it where was it successful and was it not so you can pour money or not pour money into those metrics uh i like that you had like a metric behind earned media too which a lot of people that's why a lot of people don't believe in earned media because they don't have any metric behind it to help them drive earned media Um, yeah it's cool Backcrow.ai makes you better at customer acquisition, full stop. Connect it to your Shopify stack and watch their predictive models supercharge the performance of your digital channel. Take Meta for example. Backcrow predicts target audiences that are most likely to buy, driving the right users to your site from your Meta ads. Then helps you retarget customers past seven days with true first-party, privacy-friendly tracking. Visit blackcrow.ai slash Daniel to get a 30-day free trial and a $1,000 credit for your first monthly contract. What are some things that you would have done differently at this at the start that you're doing now that would you should have been doing five years ago? I think finding that partner that has the the marketing mind and I've, I've worked with other companies and what you're speaking to is, you know, there's a ton of companies that make an amazing product. And a lot of times it's like an engineer that had an idea and, and built something great. But if you don't have the distribution on it and you don't have the storytelling around it, that's part of it too, is, you know, like I think people who really know deeply the product or the problem they're solving might 
speak to it. I mean, there's kind of that like curve of like how well you know something, you can get to a point of actually being able to deliver it in an extremely simplistic manner that makes sense when you like really, really understand something. So I think refining that. So getting the messaging boiled down to kind of a soundbite, I think is really like a big base thing. But yeah, basically, you know, putting the same attention I put into product as we do now and into the messaging, the marketing, the reach side of it is big, you know, being very, we've always been careful about who we work with because it does reflect what the brand is. But I would say, you know, so many businesses, especially in the nutrition space, build huge businesses because they were just early with creator uh, seeding and different things like that. And it was kind of, you know, as markets mature, they get more efficient. And so costs go up and stuff. But I think RX bar was like a great one where they built a huge following and community and brand off of just seeding a lot of product out. And it wasn't something where people weren't used to that. It was new in the space. Like if you got something free from a brand, like that's really cool. That's unique. Like I would post about it. I don't, I'm not thinking about what can I charge this brand? I'm just like, wow, that's great. I got a new bar and this is cool and it tastes good. And I'm telling people about it. And now that market has changed a lot. So I think early on doing more creator influencer seeding, definitely like, you know, figuring out and improving our Amazon thing. I think sometimes when you're on one of those platforms early and I, I see this in a lot of areas in life, but, uh, if you're having success, you kind of don't know how much you're leaving on the table is what I would say. And you kind of, you know, I didn't start the business to be a certain size. I was really solving a problem. And I think that's why people have a lot of success on like maybe their second company or something because they've kind of gone up and down that roller coaster. But, you know, I thought selling a hundred units a day was unbelievable. You know, I was like, wow, that's so cool. And I didn't know that I could have been selling a thousand or 5,000 or whatever. And so I think you don't know until you push the gas more on the marketing side and, and try things out. You really do have to test stuff, especially on the creative side, like getting my head around understanding that a ad and the way that an ad needs to present a brand is very different from the way that once somebody comes to your website, the brand is presented or how on a landing page you present differently than you would on a product page on your site or different things like that. So the personalization, understanding different consumer groups, those are the big things. Figuring out Google spend, like I just, I never invested in those things. And now that's become just a bigger, bigger thing. And, and all that stuff plays into each other. Like there's not always, I think you have to have trust in the idea of content. There's a really good blend of like quantitative and qualitative aspects to marketing, which I think you know really well, where I'm not going to be able to say that when we do an event at a gym that I have a direct line on, we or, you know, got this many customers from that event, but I know that I was able to sample product with people. And that's just another touch point for the brand. And then if they then see an Instagram ad for the brand, I think there's a lot higher conversion. So like, make sure you always find that balance of there's quantitative aspects where you can say, all right, my ROAS on Amazon is three X. Uh, that's my target. And I can very clearly see these ad sets performing or I'm doing events in person in Austin. And I didn't even collect emails from people. I'm just getting people to try the product and, and do some stuff and build a community. And then that stuff will 
also like all those things like come together at the end of the day. I like that you brought up Rx Park because I used to work at Stagnation back in the day with Ari and I remember when they were sampling seasonal flavors with us. Um, but I, I remember the switch when they made the packaging change and that kind of exponentially exploded them and made it simple. But it also got me thinking about how in the fitness world, like in that space, the busier designs and the more colorful designs are always the ones that are with the busiest ingredients. And when the simple but like RX bar, it's just so simple, clean, and that's what the ingredients is. And like for your 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 design, it's just simple, which just is just like an an ode to yeah, what your likes. product is. Yeah. yeah, which is it's cool to have design reflect what the product is, where it's such a simple design because the product is supposed to be simple, clean ingredients. It's not supposed to be busy. But you, I don't want to name brands, but brands that you go out there and have the pre-workout and you can name, you can name probably two of the ingredients on the market. But they yeah. do it because it's marketing. It's it's appeal. It's it's how they sell. So it's interesting to see the differences on brands out there. That's like that they RX Bar got that message that distilled down to a soundbite. That was like really a big thing. Like no BS. It was like, all I think about with RX bar, it was like, no BS. That was their message. And that really resonated with a ton of people. And then the transparency of having those ingredients on the front and like it, it, yeah, they did a really good job with that. And that's cool. I mean, it's like, I think a lot of people have different feelings on like different design firms that charge your arm and leg or whatever it is for like a website design or a logo. And if you, you do need to invest the time in that because it really does like it does matter a lot. Yeah, because I think that even like I've looked at your side a couple of times and the way you reflect what your product is is how the design on your website is, meaning you have clean ingredients so your site's clean, simple. Not simple in the way that it's there's not enough stuff, but simple in the way it's just easy to digest. You could get what you the information as quick as possible, but also adding all the storytelling aspects of I was an athlete, like athletes test the like it's natural, it's art of it's a storytelling aspect. And that's where in a commodity space people forget that you have to tell a good story because a lot of people are gonna buy the story. Because they could go, always go buy another protein powder. Um, they, they're buying a story and a good product, not only a good product. Because they want to say to their friends, hey, I'm eating clean. Here's my product. It's clean. Have you tried this clean product? It's, you know, athletes use this. Have you seen this influencer use it? They'd want to tell a story around something that they're using, not only that, oh, I'm using a clean product by myself in a, in a room. Um, some people are like that. Those are the raving fans are like that, but the mass people want to tell everybody that, oh, I, they, it has to have a story to tell other people so they can spread the word about the product that they use. That's a very good way to put it. Yeah, the brand, you want it to reflect on you the way that you want yourself to be or like you want to be seen by other people. What is 
same marketing hill you would die on or that you'd learn? Very, very rarely are you ever going to have crazy growth that also is a sustainable company. I have like two points to make off that. Like one, the like realizing the game on the field has changed. Like we talked about earlier, like uh, Facebook and what you can do there and cost and everything like that is not the same. Amazon the same way. Like all those markets have matured. It's expensive. It's harder to get things done. You need to get more stuff right to have success. And so trying to reference what brands have done in the past is not applicable and that there is just the reality of as you grow and you spend more in a certain platform, the cost to acquire a customer is just going to go up and it may not be sustainable for your business. So making sure that you fundamentally build a business that can support the cost to acquire customers and also understanding that you can't just jam money into something. If you try to build it really fast, it's going to be less efficient and that's kind of a bad cycle to get in, you know, like, and I think that's where a lot of companies stumble is if you have some success and you raise money the people investing are going to want fast growth. And that means you're going to jam that stuff into channels or you're going to build out too big of a team or whatever it is, but a brand that is going to be sustainable, it's extraordinarily rare that you can build a sustainable brand that also grows like crazy fast because fad based stuff is what grows crazy fast and or just literally like if it's really the next you know you've, you've invented sliced bread like you're going to get a ton of competition really quickly as well and unless it's like a new medium you know maybe there's like whatever it is but like everyone understands that things get too frothy or whatever so i think like understanding that it's going to take longer than you think you shouldn't just chase growth by spending too much too fast and knowing that you can't go look back at the past you need to diversify your channels and they are all, are all going to kind of like feed into each other i think most people in marketing are like i gotta have a couple of different touch points with a consumer so not just doing one those are the big ones like that's like a big hill for me is like you can't just throw more money at a problem um it's got to build over time you got to keep iterating especially now you got to set the business up initially to where it makes sense. I think there's a lot of people where I think, you know, I had to give like a number on e-commerce. If you're not, if you're, if you're shipping a physical good and your average order value is not at least $30, I don't think you can have a business. Like, I think that's like, there's some just really basic stuff fundamentally that you have to understand where the market is right now and be able to make that work. And the last point on that is like, single channel businesses like that's also tied with that viral kind of growth of like if you're going extremely fast it's usually based on one product and the chances that like and i can speak to from our business like we start out in proteins and then i had ideas for other products and i responded to athletes or customers or different things like i want a vegan protein i'd love a bar i'd love a pre-workout whatever it might be i think you unless you're embedding sliced bread, I think you need to have a brand that can support all those different types of products. And if you get known for one thing, it's really hard to move beyond that. If you're just a greens company or something like that, it's hard for them to go into a protein or electrolyte or whatever it is. And so I think 
you got to be careful about how you build a business like that. It can work. And the dream business, I think of every marketer is like, can I have a one SKU company? Oh my God, that'd be the best. My life would be so much easier. But I think you can kind of, that's like a knife's edge of like, you can live or die by that where you can have amazing growth. The economics work great. It's so much easier to run creator for one product, all those kind of things. But then the market changes like, oh, people are less interested in, in vegan products right now. And if you've just solely built your business on that or something like in the market shifts, like you could be in a bad spot. And if people don't see your brand as I always think of like a platform or like, what does a customer give your brand license to do? You know, can Coke come out with a healthy product or like a, you know, a protein drink? Like, I don't know. I, I don't, I like Coke. Uh, I don't think in my mind that Coke does that. That's like another marketing hill. And that's tied a little bit in terms of like how you grow and stuff. If, you're, if your brand's a platform, it takes longer to grow um, versus like a single like runaway product. The only way Coke could do that is what they do is like, they buy a product yeah. that's a different brand and it's under the Coke brand, but you would never know it's Coke unless you look in the fine print that it's Coke. Uh, but I, I think that's such a good point because it's kind of like there will be a product that probably is 50, 60, 70% of your revenue, but you need that to start going from 70 to 60 to 50 to 40 so you can scale your business and other products would win. Otherwise, but is 60 and that 60 channel goes to zero, your your business is now cut um, 60%. So it's a hard business to grow. Also, the one thing that I love that you said about the, the game of the field just makes me think of like athletics today and when it was like, even like 10 years ago, if I, if I knew what like athletes knew today, I would have been probably a 2x better athlete because of the recovery, the nutrition, the the stuff that people know now. But it's also the people, there's a lot of athletes 10 years ago who don't believe in that and then they get fall behind. That's why like, the only athletes that keep staying for a longer period of time keep doing what the younger people are doing and the ones that fall off stop doing what the younger people are doing because they think, oh, I've done, I've done this for 10 years. I know what works for me. Um, so just funny. Yeah. I just think about all, what you said by businesses is the same as like a lot of things in life, especially sports, where people just say, the, what got me here is going to keep getting me here. And it's not true. A lot of people are doing cooler, newer stuff to get their body in shape and recover better and sleep better do all the pillars where back in the day, I remember you can eat whatever you want and go play football. And now it's like, if, you, don't, if you do that, you get screwed. That's a really great analogy. And the thing you would say too, because I think it's demotivating to think sometimes that like a window is closed on like, Oh, like, well, it used to be easy to grow a business on Facebook or whatever, but no one had the tools that we have now. And like, it's just like the recovery thing. It's like, you would have to be a much better football player to play now than when you played football, but you would also be a better football player because you nutrition, recovery, all this different stuff. In the same way, it's like, okay, it is harder to to sell on Amazon now, but like you have crazy tools, you have AI, you have like a network that you can build on Twitter or X or whatever, like all that stuff makes the job better. So you should have a better 
product and a better like marketing plan and all that stuff. So all the tools have gotten better. So it is a harder game, but it's like you have so much, you have so much more at your disposal. So you just have to like, like you said, like learn what's new uh, and continue to kind of improve. Yeah, you just got to keep trying the game. The game in the field is always going to be changing. So the people who win just keep learning the playbook that is on the field today and learning what everybody else is doing on the field today. Otherwise, you keep just heads down for too long. You're, you get stuck behind. Uh, but lastly, is like, where can people find ProMake? Where can people find follow you and your journey? I'm going to give a shout out to Ari. <laughs> Because she's she's the best. Um, when you talk about game on the field, like I read her newsletter every week, and it's just like she's on the field all the time. And I think her ability to like look at what's going on and what's changing on like a daily basis is really cool. So shout out Ari, but find me at uh, Promix uh, at Promix Nutrition on Instagram. That's kind of where we're most active. PromixNutrition.com, and I'm just Albert Matheny on Instagram, and that's kind of I just repost stuff. I'm not super active, but. I do reply to DMs and stuff. Cool. Yeah, and everybody go try ProMix. I tried it. I've actually, you gave us some protein bars and protein, and I've given away to like some people to try, and they're like, oh, this is the best protein bar I've ever had. So, like, I even can. like random people come to our house and like, oh, Ari's actually the biggest version. Like, yeah. Try this protein bar. And they like, be like, okay. And then they try to like, oh, that's good. Could I have more? It's, it's yeah. fun. Uh, Thank so you. Later. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the pod. It's been awesome, and I really appreciate it. Same, Daniel. Thank you for having me. You're uh, building some awesome stuff, and I hope you have another conference soon in Austin. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.